The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Astrology reveals insights into the greater world, its changing cycles, and universal forces. Through the lens of astrology, we examine special topics and current events, investigate their meaning, and discuss solutions to personal and global problems. Welcome to Astrology, the Theory of Everything, with Mary Jo Weavers and Janie McCarthy. We're here to show you how astrology can be a powerful tool for self-awareness and transformation. You'll be amazed how everything is interconnected when using astrology. Now, here are your hosts, Mary Jo and Janie. Welcome. This is Janie McCarthy with my co-host, Mary Jo Weavers, and we have a very special guest with us today, Zane Stein. Let me say hi first to Mary Jo. Hi, Janie, and hi, Zane. I've been so looking forward to our conversation about Chiron today. I'm looking forward to uh, sharing with you and uh, hearing anything that you might have to say about Chiron would interest me also. Great. Excellent. So, our format these days is um, we are doing a graced time of Virgo, and during this month, uh, Mary, Joe, and I want to talk about a variety of compartments in that conversation, the first of which is its archetype. Not only is it the healer in service to others, but it was also the placement of self-healer in the chart is my sense. And today, in reverence to that essence, we are really honored to have who the Mountain Astrologer magazine refers to as the leading authority on Chiron. And I have got to second that motion. I third Welcome, it. Zane. <laughs> Thank you. It's a pleasure to be and, here. And you're calling in from Australia, which is fabulous. I love the fact that the show is getting to a point where it's feeling even international. Absolutely. So, Zane, Janie and I would like to begin by asking you to tell us and to tell our listeners about the discovery of Chiron, what it is, and how it has been classified and then reclassified as a celestial body in our solar system. All right. Um, Back in 1977, uh, there were a number of things that happened around that time. Uh, In March, they discovered uh, that the planet Uranus had rings around it, which freaked out everybody, uh, astrologers and astronomers, because Saturn was the only ring planet uh, that anybody knew about. Uh, it, It gave Saturn and Uranus something in common. And if you know anything about uh, those two bodies, uh, nobody ever hears about anything uh, that they share. And a few months later, uh, 1st of November, 
a uh, astronomer by the name of Charles Kowal uh, was putting photographs that he had taken and had not had a chance to look at yet through something called a blink microscope. You, it, to make a long story short, he you take today's picture and yesterday's picture and put them side by side and you stare through this little like microscope type of thing and the light flashes back and forth between the, the two pictures. Stars don't move. Anything that's like a, a planet, an asteroid, will, will appear like a streak between the two pictures. And that's how he first became aware of uh, the body that would eventually be called Chiron. And uh, what was so interesting about this is that uh, the pictures were taken that in October and not really looked at. Uh, later on, when they were looking at past pictures, trying to get uh, see if it's ever been seen before, they actually found it uh, in a photograph taken in uh, in 1941 and uh, one taken in back in 1895. And somebody mm. back then had noticed it, it and thought, "This looks interesting. I want to look at it later." And he circled it and then forgot about it. So. Mm. It wasn't until 1977 that I guess the world was ready for Chiron, but the the, the cameras saw it long before then. Hmm. And, Very cool. Uh, so uh, it's it's normal in uh, astronomy for the astronomer who discovers something new to be the one given first dibs on naming it, and since this body was between. Saturn and Uranus, he decided to call it Chiron because mythologically Chiron's father was uh, Saturn and his grandfather was Uranus. That was his logic. Mm -hmm. And uh, we started uh, studying it before it was named and we got lots of little glimpses of how it was starting to show up. And I, I think it's significant uh, to tell us the slight uh, story about how we got involved in the first place, or how I got involved first. Uh, I w came home from work, and my uh, wife at that time said, did you hear they just discovered a new planet? Now, anybody who's in a, into astrology, that's something that would say, wow, really, really cool. And they want to know more about it. And so uh, I said, well, Tell me about it. She said, that's all I heard. So I rushed to the library and started looking for information. And sure enough, on, the, on the, one of the pages of the New York Times, there was an article that says 10th planet discovered. Mm. And in that article, there were two uh, names. There was the uh, astronomer that discovered it, Charles Kowal, and uh, the head of the Smithsonian Astrophysical observatory dr brian marsden and i wrote to both of them charles uh, wrote back kindly and told me the time he discovered uh the body so we have a, had a chart for it and dr marsden wrote back and sent us uh, ephemeris for it which is the, the planetary positions uh but it was only a few weeks around then they didn't know enough yet to chart a whole cycle so we started just putting it in as a transiting body and this is like all right, this weird, something happened here. This weird, something happened here. So we started sharing this, uh, these ephemeris with other people. And then 
Dr. Morrison sent us a longer period, and pretty soon we had a whole hundred years of it, and then we could start sticking it in people's charts. Uh, what we started finding uh, early on was that it uh, had a couple of things that were like uh, what my friend Al used to call it, it was an inconvenient benefic. Your life got better, but it was a pain in the uh, rear end in the process. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, we did find that it seemed to, uh, you know, turning points that led to uh, the opportunity for healing. And then when it was named Chiron, in the myth, Chiron uh, was a centaur, but he was very unusual. He had different parentage than all the other centaurs, and he was a teacher and a healer. He, he taught all the great heroes of mythology, and he also uh, even taught uh, the, uh, the young baby who would eventually become the god of healing. And um, so – here we're seeing uh, it representing turning points related to, to the opportunity for healing, and Zap, it's, got, it's given a name that has to do with uh, the greatest healer uh, in mythology. Hmm. So, uh, naturally, you know, our appetites were wet even more, and by this time we were getting people uh, – uh, pretty much uh, astrologers in, in six of the seven continents were involved in, in uh, looking into this by, by now. And uh, it was only the uh, early 80s by now. Mm. And this is pre-internet, you have to realize. This is all mm. done by postage stamp, by mail. Right. <laughs> and going and, to the library. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And uh, then – one of the things that in, in the 1980s that uh, astronomers couldn't figure out is that if you know anything about you know astro- astronomy, you know that when something gets closer to the sun, it gets brighter, right? So you know when when you look in the sky, we recently had Venus and Jupiter really close in the sky, and they were really bright, and that's because uh, they were you know the Venus was close to uh, the Earth at that time. Uh, it, it's parts of the year it's not as close and it doesn't look as bright so what the scientists couldn't figure out is why chiron was actually brighter when it was farther away than when it was closer Hmm. it's very counterintuitive so uh they they studied it and then they saw a flare-up and they figured out what was going on chiron was determined to be a comet nucleus that had never turned into a comet. In fact, it is so huge, it is the largest known comet nucleus uh, in our solar system. All right, now, think of this as this huge body with a lot of mass. Now, what was happening was when Chiron got close to the sun, the outer layer of ice started melting. It became like – it started to rise, you know, uh, steam, gases. But the gravitational pull, because Chiron is so massive, didn't allow that steam to leave, so it hung around the body. And what you had was uh, – if you're driving down the road and you enter fog, your, your headlights get real dim. 
Yes. So what was mm-hmm. happening is the, the sun's light was, get, was not reflecting off of Chiron when it was close because there was a layer of steam, a layer of, of uh, gas around it. And then when Chiron moved further away, those same gases cooled off, dropped down, and became part of the surface again, and then became ice, and then it started reflecting brightly. And that's why Chiron was brighter farther away than close. And that's how they discovered it was actually the comet nucleus. Zane, so what's the symbolism of that kind of atmosphere and variation? Well, basically, uh, we we get locked into uh, our own little prisons for one of a better word we get locked into structures uh, we have little we have walls that we build either sometimes for security sometimes out of fear and what uh, what we need is to find a way to dissolve the walls to break through to get uh, and when those gases started melting a few impurities, would leave the surface of the comet and they would drift off like a little if you can imagine a very very tiny wisps almost like a bits and pieces of a tail like a comet might have <laughs> and then when the every time the uh it re-ices there's less impurities and so what's happening is every what chiron is doing symbolically is it's providing you an opportunity to uh break out of uh, these structures and release some impurities so that you're more whole uh, and then uh, and when you can reassemble your life uh, with, with things more together uh, you can uh, become more well more whole it's it's a whole making type of thing I don't know if that makes sense Absolutely does. Yes, yes. And Zane, that uh, makes me think about the discovery of Chiron in 1977 and how that was imprinting our recent history. Uh, because as, as other, as astrologers, we know that whenever a new planet or celestial body is discovered in the solar system, we're so eager to find out what it represents archetypally and symbolically because it's as if humanity's consciousness is is ready and welcome for a new insight into who we are. And so thinking around 1977, at the time of Chiron's discovery, we were experiencing the blossoming of the human potential movement. And can you tell us a little bit about that correspondence and, and how you interpret Chiron appearing then? Uh, the... Uh, one of the things that uh, I, I often think of when I think of Chiron is uh, uh, Joseph uh, Campbell talking about the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. We all have our own hero's journey, and this is Chiron. And uh, the idea here is to overcome your own personal dragons, your demons, and uh, in, in doing so, you, you recognize – your full potential, you blossom, and that's that's how I see the connection with Chiron. Uh, every time you uh, overcome 
something that was blocked inside of you. It, you release that energy and you make that energy available to you and therefore you have more potential and you can be more who you were meant to be. So once again, we see the release of toxicity, this time out of the person instead of the heavenly body. So in the um, Mountain Astrologer you magazine, you were um, referred to as having revolutionized modern, uh, revolutionized modern astrology. And I would love to know what your view is of that revolutionary paradigm shift in the field and specifically how it, uh, it also may have changed your personal life beyond the, what you've mentioned already, but if you were willing to share even on a more experiential personal basis. Well, now the revolutionized uh, modern astrology, uh, I, I always like the sound of that, although it's not uh, from my lips. Uh, <laughs> but um, what basically uh, what I see myself doing is uh, mobilizing people to, to start exploring the, the, this unknown and it, uh, that is how I see the, the uh, changing things. Um, back in, in 1930 when Pluto was discovered, there were decades afterwards, people, there were some astrologers that still weren't using it. There was no mass uh, movement of people. There was this astrologer thought, hey, this is cool. I'm going to look into this. Another one said, uh, it's too far out. I'm not going to. No. So there was no movement. It took many, many years before there were enough people looking at Pluto. Uh, my uh, mobilizing people uh, so that there were hundreds of people actually looking at Chiron uh, within two years after it was discovery, uh, it's what I see is the revolution. And um, what I uh, what I also see is that Chiron is a door opener, um, and a lot of times you don't know there was even a door there that needed open until the door is open. And uh, so I was saying, to, uh, I showed people, hey, there are some doors, let's open them. And when I was a little uh, boy, my favorite teacher was the one who encouraged me to go out into the uh, world and read and learn. Not, the, not the, the teachers who taught me stuff in the class, but the teachers that stirred me to actually go out and look for myself. And so that's kind of uh, how I see my influence on the, on the astrological community, giving people a, a, a push to actually go out and look and bring in all this information and, and share it with each other, networking. Mm -hmm. You're like the Linux of astrology. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Very Aquarian. Mm -hmm. And yeah. very magnetizing, bringing those like-minded people together with with similar passion about this this new mythological, archetypal, symbolic 
message that's coming to us from the cosmos. So you've been studying Chiron for, what, 38 years or so? Yeah, well... So uh, everything changes. Where has it come from, and where's the archetype evolving? Well... Uh, where do, where does which come from? Um, I, I missed your question. Um, that the archetype of Chiron itself, as it's grown up over the last thirty eight years, as you've been studying about it, writing about it, yes. speaking about it, how has it, as an archetype, evolved? We're all evolving, even the archetypes. Yes. Well. Um, one of the things that uh, I have seen. Uh, uh, develop in the understanding of this, the Chiron archetype is something that uh, is very Jungian in a way. Carl Jung uh, talked about the, the concept of the wounded healer, which is it gets a lot of lip service, but a lot of people don't really uh, understand it. The, the mythological Chiron uh, could heal other people, but he couldn't heal himself, and that uh, that was the gist of the, the wounded healer. But Jung meant it a lot uh, more deeply in that in order for you to help somebody else, you have had to have a wound. Not doesn't have to be the identical wound, but you have had to have been wounded and recognize that you've been wounded and have done some work on trying to, to, to heal your own wound in order to understand the person who needs help. So uh, this is how I, I, I see the evolution of the archetype. We're, it, uh, we've been involved into realizing that in order for the, the doctor to really hear, help the patient, in, lo- in order for the uh, psychologist or the therapist or the uh, counselor to help uh, the, the person that they're dealing with, they've had to been there in some way themselves. Uh, you can't uh, go in and... Uh, and help somebody unless you've uh, hurt yourself. So uh, when you go and look at a chart and you see uh, where Chiron is, it's not only going to tell you uh, a lot about your own wound and what you have done to try to survive that wound and what you have been been blocking in yourself to try to keep yourself from the pain of the wound, but it also will give you a glimpse into the kind of people that you can help, who, who can profit from your, the wisdom you learn as you heal yourself. Mm-hmm. I, I'm very taken by personal stories and I don't know whether or not you two would be interested in doing this but I would for our listeners to give them three case studies yours Zane, mine and Mary Jo's of how we see Chiron having operated in our own personal charts in a story kind of way as opposed to a diagramming uh, astrological way how do, uh, how do you two feel yeah. about that? Uh, that? That's I'm fine with that. Mary Jo, you in? Absolutely. Um, okay, Zane, will you t- actually how, how about, wants to go first? How about before we get into that, it might be helpful for our listeners to hear a little bit from Zane about some of the other archetypal 
uh, references to Chiron and to describe and, and, and flesh out the archetype a little bit more. Absolutely. Okay. Well, the uh, I mentioned that Chiron uh, was wounded. Uh, how he was wounded and why he couldn't be healed uh, is a big part of the, the story. Uh, but there's an earlier wound also that is a huge part of the story. Chiron was conceived through a, an act of uh, indiscretion. His 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 father Saturn was fooling around uh, with uh, a, uh, a, a, a well somebody other than his wife, and when uh, he heard his wife coming. Uh, into the room, he quick changed him, himself into a horse so she wouldn't recognize him and galloped away. And uh, so the the baby that was conceived, uh, when it was born, it was half human, half horse, basically. And I won't go into the uh, the logic of that, you know, uh, <laughs> or the illogic of that, but the idea was that uh, he was born in, in, out of an indiscretion, and his father wanted to have nothing more to do with, with him uh, after that original conception. So he was rejected by his father from the start. His mother, when she saw what she had given birth to, she was horrified. She said, it's a monster. Get him out of my sight. And she pretty much cast him away. Uh, so she didn't want to have anything to do with him. So he was he was came into this world with a deep psychological wound that he had to carry with him. And uh, years and years later, uh, there's another story uh, of Prometheus, who was uh, one of the early gods, and uh, Prometheus liked human beings. And he stole fire from the gods and gave it to humans, which pissed off uh, Zeus or Jupiter. Uh, as a punishment, Prometheus was chained to this rock. And every night this huge bird would rip out his liver. But because he was uh, immortal, it would grow back the next day. It's like, and it, it was a lot of suffering, but nothing he could do about it. And the... Uh, Story then shifts to uh, Hercules uh, or Heracles, who was uh, sh shooting uh, at some invading centaurs. Uh, that's another whole story about why they're invading. I won't go into that now, but they were they were attacking, and one of the arrows meant for one of the other centaurs hit Chiron. And some say in his heel, some say in his uh, thigh, but uh, and he couldn't die because he was immortal. His father was Saturn, but the arrow was tipped with with a, a deadly poison, an incurable poison from the the Hydra. So uh, he was basically doomed to live for all eternity with terrible pain from the wound and so what happened was he offered to give up his immortality to end his own pain in exchange to free Prometheus from his suffering and 
Chiron was then translated up into the heavens, and some say he's Sagittarius, some say he's Centaurus, but he became one of the constellations. And uh, that was the uh, other aspect of the, the archetype. One more, uh, I mentioned earlier that he was a teacher. He taught all the great heroes. Um, he had a cave, which uh, he would take the uh, children into and teach them in there. And he would not allow them to leave until they had learned, uh, and then they went out into the world. So Jason was one of the, the great heroes. Uh, Achilles was one of the, the great heroes. Uh, the, I mentioned the, the, the god uh, who – the, the uh, person who grew up to be the great god of medicine was also one of his uh, pupils. Yes, so, that was Asclepius, wasn't it? Yes, 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 yes. yes. And uh, oh, there's there's a whole uh, web of stories that we could go into, but we, we would need a lot more time uh, because each of these uh, bits of, that I've mentioned have side stories and and other things to them. But the gist of it was that uh, he could not heal himself uh, from the pain. And the only way he was able to, to, to uh, free himself from the pain is to, to, to sacrifice his own morta- immortality. Uh, but, Thank you. Uh, yeah. Yes. Well, yeah. I'll, let's go ahead and take a short break right now. And when we come back, we'll be continuing our conversation with Zane Stein, exploring Chiron, the archetype, and what it symbolically represents for us. And if you would like to send us your comments and questions, please email them to astrotalkradio at icloud.com. The 7th Wave Channel on The Voice America Network. Janie McCarthy loves being a professional astrologer. Her academic pursuits in consciousness exploration, negotiations, and relationship transformation have been critical to helping her clients integrate their material and spiritual worlds. She is known for her ability to simplify and articulate even the most complex concepts to trigger aha moments of pure, meaningful, and lasting clarity. Janie is available for booking presentations, workshops, and client consultations and can be contacted at www.janiemccarthy.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Mary Jo Weavers is a licensed spiritual health coach specializing in soul personality integration. A certified karmic astrologer, Mary Jo uses the symbolic language of astrology to help her clients understand themselves and their life experiences from a deeper spiritual perspective. Mary Jo can help you gain clarity about your life purpose, relationship dynamics, and how to live your life more effectively. She is available for astrological consultations in person, by phone, and Skype. 
Check out her website at www.maryjoeweavers.com. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening to Astrology, the Theory of Everything. To reach the hosts or the guests today, please call 1-866-472-5795. Again, that's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to astrotalkradio at icloud.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. This is Mary Jo Weaver's with co-host Janie McCarthy and our guest Zane Stein. And we were talking about Chiron and the mythology and the stories around him. And Zane, we were wondering, can you tell us about the discovery chart, the horoscope for the discovery of Chiron, and what meaning it has for us? Sure. Well, as I mentioned, it was discovered on the 1st of November, 1977. And uh, it was discovered... Uh, with Chiron at three degrees, nine minutes of Taurus. And Chiron was the only body below the horizon. Uh, You wouldn't uh, think of a body being discovered in a part of the Earth where you can't see it. But remember, it was discovered by looking at a picture. So it didn't matter where it was as far as the discoverer is concerned at that time. It's the only body below the horizon. Below the horizon is the stuff that is – uh, less conscious, less public, and it was discovered in the fourth house, which is the roots, the foundation. And so one of the things that you would glean from this is that whatever Chiron represents to us, it has to do with something with dealing with our very roots, our very foundation, where we came from. And uh, it was – when it was discovered, it was about a half a degree away from exact square to the planet Mars, and Mars was on the cusp of the eighth house almost exactly. So if you think about Mars being passions, uh, aggressions, uh, how we attack problems, uh, anger, uh, rage, and, and on a positive level uh, – trying to cut away the stuff that uh, needs to be cut away. And you think about the eighth house as the house of transformation. Uh, One of the things that the pattern begins to emerge here is it has to do something with uh, digging into the fourth house, digging into our roots, our foundation, and and finding what is uh, causing our anger, our hurts, our uh, aggressive traits, and how we can transform them, uh, which is the eighth house. Uh, At the same time in this discovery chart, Pluto was almost exactly at the top of the chart, and Pluto is the uh, planet that is the co-ruler of uh, Scorpio uh, along with Mars, so we're talking about transformation. So the um, friend of mine named Joyce calls Chiron and Pluto the Comet Brothers. Uh, she sees them as having a very uh, intimate relationship with each other, and 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 they do. Uh, they they are both 
uh, take us beyond our, our safe uh, walls in one way or another. And we have to deal with uh, what's going on. The other aspect of the, this chart was also the Sun, Uranus, and Mercury were also all in Scorpio. So there was a very change, 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 transformation, transformation. That's the key. And then the last thing about this chart I want to mention, the ascendant, the, the rising sign, was 26 Sagittarius. Sagittarius is the, the, uh, the centaur sign. So the first thing you see when you uh, walk, when somebody walks into the room is their ascendant. And the first thing we notice about Chiron uh, after it's discovered is Sagittarius. We, the first thing we saw the Sagittarian influence, uh, the, uh, the teacher uh, influence before we even knew its name. Yes, yes, definitely. It's uncanny how the chart speaks to such a level of specification um, after the fact, after it's interpreted, after the discovery occurs, and how it has such relevance to the collective unconscious and what we learned about it the first time around. Yes, and the, the, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, something called the Sabian symbols, uh, which are um, – uh, s- metaphysical symbols, one for each of the 360 degrees of the zodiac, and they were arrived at psych- psychically uh, by a woman by uh, what was her name, Elsie Wheeler, uh, w- with the help of a, an astrologer named uh, Mark Edmund Jones. The degree of Chiron's discovery, the fourth degree of Taurus. Uh, one of the things said about this degree is a bridge linking the earthly with the celestial. Mm. I am so glad you brought that word up. Talk about key words and the whole subject and functionality of bridging that this Chiron does in different time zones, past, present, future, in different great ages, Piscean to Aquarian, based on its... uh, physical location between the orbits of Saturn and Uranus, the half body, uh, the body half human, half animal kingdom, the relationship we have with our evolutionary past physically, as well as psychically, there's bridging is it, this, this enormous opportunity to find relatedness through the symbolism of this uh, Chiron and where it shows up and how it shows up in people's charts. And um, a couple uh, of physical aspects uh, of the uh, bridging. The first gene splicing occurred in 1977, which is mm. the linking of two different species. Now, if that's not half man, half horse, I don't know what is. <laughs> and oh, my also, God. Yeah. Also, do you, do you remember the story about uh, the first a uh, baby that was conceived outside of the womb the test tube babies yeah yeah the the very first one yeah that that if i remember correctly that was also 1977 hmm mhm so you know and uh there was also the very first home pregnancy test was uh, uh within a month of chiron's discovery uh which uh, basically changed the dynamics uh for uh, for couples, uh, you know, and looking to have a baby or 
couples trying to avoid having a baby, etc. Mm-hmm. And so we have these these key words: the um, the wounded healer, uh, the key, or or the the doorway, the door the door opener. Um, what are some other key words that conjure up the imagery of Chiron? All right. Well, if you think of about Saturn representing the past, you know, the, uh, the structures that we have built over time, and Uranus, the, the future, uh, sometimes tearing down the past in order to make way for the future. So think of Saturn as the past and Uranus as the future, and Chiron is right in between. What's in between the past and the future? That's right now, right immediately. Now, you've often heard people say there is no uh, tomorrow, because w- when we get there, it's it becomes now. So you know, it's always now. So that's another thing about Chiron: the focus, the idea that uh, living in the present is very, very much Chiron. Mm. And it, mm-hmm. so you, you're bringing your own past, making it conscious, so you can live in the present. You're not avoiding living in the present. Because the future may be better, you're living now. That comes from the healing process. That's that's so. That's the, another one. Um, another thing besides uh, the ones we've already mentioned, uh, any kind of a a guide, a guru, a uh, any, any person that helps you find your way. There's there's a word kero, uh, uh, which is a Greek word, and it's time out of time. Uh, it's non chronological time. Uh, if you think about those moments where uh, you look at the, the clock and you realize that um, an hour has passed, but it, it only seemed a second for you, uh, or uh, other moments when uh, you See, it seemed like it, it went on and, uh, you know, on – what is it? Einstein said uh, relativity is uh, – if you're sitting on a hot stove, a second seems like an eternity. If you're with somebody you love, an eternity can pass in a second. You know, it's, it's that time outside of time. Mm-hmm. That's also Chiron, the, the, the Cairo. Mm-hmm. And uh, – when Chiron returns, which takes uh, approximately between 49 and 51 years, uh, average of about 50.5 years for one complete uh, cycle around the zodiac, you, when somebody has a Chiron return, they enter into this period of uh, Cairo in that they're actually able to uh, step outside of time. It's almost magical and look – and decide what they want to do for the entire rest of their life w- without the clock ticking. It's it's a it's, that's another aspect. Mm-hmm. It's momentous. <laughs> so, where do you want to go from here, Mary Jo? Well, shall we talk about our own personal Chirons and ask Zane what he has to say about them? I'd love to hear what possible Chiron placement in your chart created this path for you to become such a renowned expert in this field, such a groundbreaker? Well, 
the uh, zero degrees of the cardinal signs is, is, is a significant. Uh, the Uranian astrologers even put zero degrees of the cardinal sign uh, as a sensitive point, just like uh, a planet. I have my Chiron at zero degree one minute Capricorn. Mm. And it's at the top of my chart. It's the highest thing in my chart. So for, for starters, my, my Chiron uh, is my chosen path to deal with the public and the outside world. So when Chiron was discovered and I became aware of it, I also became aware of everything that I wanted to do uh, that, I, that I had been somewhat unconscious of before. Um, this friend of mine pointed out that the, the Sabian symbol for my uh, uh, zero d- degrees Capricorn, for the first degree of Capricorn, where my Chiron is, is, is a Native American chief addressing the multitudes. Mm. And I mm-hmm. thought, okay, that, I, I can deal with that. <laughs> but, um, uh, there's also um, three degrees, like I mentioned, of Taurus is where Chiron was discovered. And there's, there's something uh, that uh, I found very significant. I don't know if either of you use midpoints at all in your chart work, but uh, the halfway point between two other uh, bodies, the midpoint. Mm-hmm. But uh, the, uh, the midpoint between uh, the ascendant and the midheaven uh, is se- sensitive, and so are the other three that, that, that would make it an axis. Uh, there. So I have the uh, midpoint between my ascendant and my fourth house cusp at three degrees Taurus, and it's three degrees fixed for the other three. It goes all the way around. We'll, we all have a what I call a quadrant midpoint, all right? Mm-hmm. And the quadrant midpoint is basically what sort of like the backbone of the chart as I see it. Chiron was discovered right on the, my quadrant midpoint. And so it's, it, it basically woke up my whole chart as I see it. Wow. That's Could it get powerful. any more explicit than that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Honest to God. And right up there at the midheaven and being uh, the respected authority on Chiron. I mean, you, you couldn't avoid that with it being at your midheaven. <laughs> yeah. Pretty well, much. I, I'd like to share my, my placement, Janie, if, if um, I want to go next. Uh, my Chiron in my natal chart is at 28 degrees Capricorn. It's in my first house, conjunct my ascendant, and it's also conjunct uh, the sign of Aquarius, which is intercepted in my first house. So, Zane, what, how would you describe this, or, or what, what might you say about this placement? Okay, well, um, what I've uh, observed personally over the years uh, is that Chiron uh, close to the ascendant uh, is what I call the a stranger in a strange land, in that it's the person uh, that never quite fits in wherever they are. It's not necessarily a bad thing, uh, because on on the one hand, it it also means that they see outside the box that other people are trapped in. But like uh, people that describe a person who has Chiron close to the ascendant. Uh, that's one of the things that they say, that this person seems like they're from somewhere else. Uh, sometimes it's in a very positive way. Sometimes uh, it's not. But it's, it's a, 
a perspective that other people don't have. It's like you're not limited to, to a Saturnian perspective, uh, but it's at the same time, it's not a, a Uranian where you need to, to, to shatter everything. It's a, sort of like uh, – What's his name? Henry David Thoreau said uh, that he, he, he listened to the beat of a different drum. Mm-hmm. That's how I see the Chiron uh, rise and Chiron close to the ascendant. You, mm-hmm. you're, you see the world through a slightly different lens than, than average people, and therefore other people also see you as being not quite uh, – the same as everybody else they know you're you you know it doesn't mean necessarily that you're an outcast but you're you're never never quite in sync with 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 uh any kind of stereotype uh group right And, and that really resonates with me and i especially like using the analogy of chiron being a bridge between uh saturn which rules my capricorn and uranus which rules my intercepted aquarius Yes, and, and uh, you're, you're, what you do here on the radio, in a way, uh, it's also kind of a bridging thing. Mm-hmm. Well, if this is not uh, a bit of a coincidence, my Chiron is also on an angle. It's in my sixth house at zero degrees Sag, conjunct my descendant, which is four degrees. So all three of our Chirons are on an angle. And what mine has always said to me is that it's it has brought into my life an acute awareness of the experience of relationship. Relationship of anything to anything, anybody to anybody. It's that in-betweenness piece. Um, I'm a twin, and my ascendant, of course, is four degrees, Gemini, and my whole life's individuated experience has been to figure out who I am and to speak and express specifically who I am and put that out into the world. So the acute relationship awareness piece has been, has shown up many different ways in my life and relationship is always my petri dish it's always where i get the projections back of what's going on with me and uh what's my next step so it's been quite the teacher in my chart as well and one of the things that uh we all have with with an angular chiron um chiron it's it's small and and people who have an angular chiron they tend to uh, be aware of things that are some are quite often under other people's radar because they're they're beneath their notice. It's not that they that they they don't deign to see them; they just don't see them. They don't look there. It's sort of like uh, uh, finding the four leaf clover by accident because uh, that everybody else just walked past because they weren't looking. Mm-hmm. So uh, you, with your 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 seventh house, uh, you know you're 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 seeing things in relationships. You see things in the people that you deal with on a one one basis that other people uh, might totally miss. Sometimes they seem almost insignificant, uh, but they're not. And uh, you, on the other hand, with uh, in, in the first house. Uh, Steve, Stephen Forrest uh, said that the, the ascendant is the stained glass window we look 
see the world through. You have Chiron there. You see uh, things about the world around you uh, everywhere you look that other people will miss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that feels very right for me. Wow, has this been wonderful. Yeah. This has been great. And Zane, we're going to have to be wrapping up here in a minute or two. Are there any last thoughts you'd like to share with us before we close today? Uh, yeah. Um, I wanted to just to make uh, people aware that uh, who haven't studied Chiron, that Chiron, ha- because of its unique orbit, it moves fast through some signs and slow through others. Uh, you can't just do like you can with Saturn and say, okay, at, at 7, this happens. At 14, this happens. You have to actually look at where Chiron is throughout your life. It's At different people, it happen- things happen at different ages. But the very first time Chiron squares its own position in your chart is a major turning point. For some people, it can happen as early as like five and a half. For somebody else, it might happen at age 20-something. But these are significant. So if anybody wants to look into Chiron, that's the first thing I would suggest they look. Find out when Chiron first squared their natal Chiron and what changed in their life. And they'll get a big handle on uh, what to look at next and, and to understand their Chiron. Thank you. That's, that's a wonderful ending note to make. And um, this conversation has been so illuminating. Uh, it's been so interesting. We are so grateful to have Zane Stein join us today. It's been a real privilege to have you on our show and talk about Chiron with us. And you can find out more about Zane and read about Chiron, the asteroids, centaurs, minor planets, and exoplanets on his website, zanestein.com. You can reach Zane by email at centaurianastrology at zanestein.com. And thank you listeners for joining us today on Astrology, the Theory of Everything. You can find us on Facebook at Astro Talk Radio. Link up with Janie and me on LinkedIn, and let's continue our conversation on Twitter with hashtag AstroTalkRadio. We hope you'll join us next week when we continue our discussion in the sign of Virgo. We will be discussing asteroids in the solar system landscape and their relevance to the sign of Virgo in astrology. Zane, thank you so much again. Oh, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for being a part of the show today. Please join Janie McCarthy and Mary Jo Weavers again next week for another edition of Astrology, the Theory of Everything. We're live every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America's 7th Wave Channel. May the stars be with you. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.